Spanning the nerd world and feeding your fandom. Crash landed. From comics to video games. From the cinematic universe to television. Connecting you to the biggest stars in the industry. Something out there had discovered us. It's time for the Down and Nerdy Podcast. Here's your host, James Witham. Seems like we could use a bit of witchcraft right about now. It's episode 308 of the Down and Nerdy Podcast. I'm James Witham, and I'm going to tell you right now, I mean, yes, things are crazy, but you know what we're going to do? We're going to try not to focus on that this week, and we're going to focus on some great comics, some great shows. Might have to change things up depending on how much nerd news there is, though. I can tell you that right now there there is something big that I want to talk about, but might throw in a couple of extra reviews this week. Just just stick with me here. We'll see how it goes. But we're definitely going to be talking about Freeform's new series, Motherland, Fort Salem, which you can see every Wednesday night at 9 o'clock Eastern Time on Freeform. I'm going to be talking to Jessica Sutton, who plays Tally Craven on the show. That's right, one of the three witches that you see on the main poster of the show. In case you don't know the premise, it's witches that are basically taking over as fight. they got their amnesty 300 years ago. Because they've agreed to fight for the U.S. military. So it's a very, very interesting premise. Got to see the first episode early and it's got some very cool things in it as well. So you're going to want to check that out. You're also going to want to stick around to find out a great deal I've got for you from Keeps this week. Yes, keep sponsoring the show. I will let you know a great deal on how you can keep your hair. But first, you know we're going to start things out with comics. It's what we're reading on the Down and Nerdy Podcast. Hi, this is uh, Rioter Ryan Parrott, and you're listening to the Down and Nerdy Podcast. Maybe you've had a little extra time for bagging and boarding. Either way, whether it's digital or physical, whatever you're reading on, it's time for what we're reading. As a matter of fact, a couple of big books out this week, but let's start with DC Comics because it's the big 80th anniversary celebration of Robin, so I decided to go Robin 80th anniversary, 100-page spectacular. There are so many amazing creators on here that it would take me forever to list all of them. Go to dccomics.com to get your list because there are plenty. And this is a celebration of all the Robins. You've got plenty of Dick Grayson stories in there. There's Tim Drake stories. There's a Jason Todd story in there. Even Super Sons are part of this. Stephanie Brown, Damian Wayne. So it really runs the gamut of a whole bunch of of different Robins and a whole bunch of different stories. It just goes to show you the legacy of the character and a character that's finally getting his due or even her due, depending on who's wearing the red suit because each Robin, it just goes to show you how different each Robin really is. There was even a Dick Grayson from Grayson story from Tim Seeley and, and Tom King from that run as well. It just goes to show you the different paths they all took, the different relationships that they all had with Batman. Actually, one of my favorite stories in here was the Jason Todd story that was written by Judd Winnick and the amazing art by Dustin Wynn. There was far more emotion to it than I would have expected. And it was a very cool side story, something that was very out of character for the Jason Todd that we've come to know. And that's not something it's something I would have expected from one of the other Robins, but not Jason Todd. And that was one of the things that really, really just kind of drew me to that. 
There's also a Tim Drake story written by James Tynan IV with uh, Javier Fernandez as an artist that really, really stood out to me in this. But the very first story in this book is a Dick Grayson story from Marv Wolfman with pencils by Tom Grummet and Scott Hanna on the inks. And I think it might be the best one out of all of them because it's very much a, it's a very early Robin story. And it touches on something, again, I do these spoiler-free, but it touches on something that's a very important part of the character's lineage and a very important moment in the relationship between Batman and Robin, between Bruce Wayne and Dick Grayson. And just to watch the way it plays out through Marv Wolfman's eyes, somebody who could you know, really appreciate that moment, and it showed in that particular story. And it was just it was just so amazing to me how that played out. And then you've also got the anytime they do one of these, there's always one story in here that kind of sets up something that's yet to come. And that Damian Wayne story, the Robin Son of Batman story, written by Robbie Thompson, does exactly that. So this is an important issue going forward. And I gotta tell you, it was for somebody who's always loved the Robin character. And, you know, people ask me, well, who's your Robin? Well, my Robin's always going to be Dick Grayson, even though I was kind of in the Jason Todd era more as far as when I started, uh, when I when I really got into Batman comics. But I always gravitated towards Dick Grayson more. That's probably because of more of the earlier animated series and things like that. I'm not talking about Batman in the animated series. I'm talking about like Super Friends filmation and the filmation type stuff. That was out there. That's just what what always drew me to the character. And of course, the the Batman sixty six series as well certainly certainly helped with that. So I, I got to say, I'm so glad that I decided to sit down and read this one. I mean, the hundred page spectacular is worth the hundred pages. Pick up this book if you get a chance. You will not be disappointed, especially if you're a fan of the Robin character. There's also a Spider-Woman solo series that I we told you about not too long ago down in nerdypodcast.com. It is finally here, Spider-Woman number one from Marvel Comics, Carla Pache- Pacheco on the writing there. Sorry there, Carla. Pere Perez on the, on the art. And Franco D. Armada on the colors. There's also a backup story in this called New Costume Who Dis? And it's by Carla and, and Paolo Sequeira doing the pencils layer, Oren Jr. on the inks, and Frank D'Armato once again on the colors. Travis VC's Travis Lanham doing the lettering for the issue and the cover that was actually done by Zhang Jin Yoon and that was that is really just pops and stands out. And there's a reason that there's a helicopter on the cover. I could tell you that much right now. And you know that Jessica Drew, she's a new mom. She's trying to figure out the whole, you know, being a hero thing. And being a mom, but she's doing something not quite, I mean, certainly heroic enough, but at the same time, it's definitely something that she's doing out of necessity. That much I could tell you for sure. And of course, when you're doing something like this, certain you're, you're there for a reason sort of thing, right? So you sort of find out what that reason is times 100, but there's something else going on with Jessica during this whole thing as well. And I again, I do the spoiler free, so I can't really get into what it is. But what I love here is you get a lot of action in this book. You get a lot of attitude 
from Jessica too, which I really, really love. It's one of those things where you're either going to love her for it or you're not. And I loved it. I, I thought that it was, it made it really edgy. There's a new suit inside of this. If you didn't, if you didn't see the previews, pre, any of the preview pages, there is a new suit that gets debuted. I am loving the new suit. I like the classic suit too, classic Spider Woman suit too. Don't get me wrong. But there's just something about this one that makes sense to me and really, really made it stand out. But there's something about that suit. And that's kind of all I can tell you. We'll find something else out. Read that story at the end of the book, that extra story that gets thrown in. It is a part of the story. It's almost like we get to see... It's almost like you we, we rewind a couple of days and then in the, in the, in the story that's at the end... But throughout the book, you'll understand. It'll make the rest of the book make much more sense, I guess, is what I'm trying to get at. But this was another one where I thought that the you know you wonder can certain characters carry books on their own, and that goes for any character that's not like a main Avenger character, right? And I wonder to myself too. I'd like can Spider Woman carry her own book? I like the character, but can she carry her own book? And I kind of feel like. Absolutely, she can because of the way the character is being portrayed and just the edginess that she has to her. I really, really liked that edginess, that that kind of bit of sarcasm. But at the same time, it's almost like you were taking a little bit of Deadpool and mixing in some Jessica Jones type attitude, right? And But also, you're looking at a mom who's doing what she needs to do to help out her family in the best way that she can and still trying to work. We get a little bit of her trying to balance things out as well. So I thought this was a really, really cool issue. It definitely was something I was hoping was going to be really good. I was not disappointed. I'd throw this on my pull box as well. So that's spider woman number one from Marvel comics and Robin, the 100 page 80th anniversary spectacular grab both of those. I do not think you'll be sorry that you did. That's going to do it for Nerd News. Up next, going to be tackling Superman Red Sun. My spoiler-ish review is that uh, that is up next on the Down and Nerdy Podcast. Hey, this is voice actor Roger Craig Smith, and you guys are listening, you lucky people, to the Down and Nerdy Podcast. And we're back. This one's for you, comrades. One of the most popular and most famous Elseworlds stories in DC Comics history has finally come to Warner Brothers Home Entertainment and DC Animation. And that is Superman Red Sun. And I'm going to give my spoiler-ish review of the movie right now. I just want to let you know Warner Brothers Home Entertainment did provide me with a free copy of this Blu-ray and actually 4K Ultra for review here. All thoughts are my own. I just want to make that very, very clear. Now, as I move into this, if you're not familiar with Superman Red Sun, I'm going to give you the very bare-bones basics. It's basically... The gist of it is, what if Superman's pod didn't land on in the U.S., in Kansas? What if it landed somewhere else and it lands in the Ukraine and he becomes basically the symbol of the Soviet Union instead of truth, justice, and the American way? That's the gist of the Superman Red Sun story that was written by Mark Miller all those years ago. Now, I will tell you this. If you're a fan of the graphic novel, the comic, whatever you want to call it, then it's pretty faithful. I mean, really faithful to the source material. I mean, there's certain things that that are added a little bit here and there, but not necessarily... We're not seeing something that's going to be a huge differentiation 
from what you saw in the graphic novel. Now, whether you think that that's a criticism or a good thing, I, I will leave that for you to decide. I don't think it's a bad thing just because some stories you just want to see brought to life, right? Superman Red Sun was one of those things. And I think that what the comic did so well, what the story did so well when, when Miller wrote it was that, you know, there's it, the morally gray areas of this story. You can really feel them come to life in the performances with these actors because, I mean, reading it on the page, yes, but then you see it and you go, okay, well, that, Lex Luthor is finally acting like Lex Luthor, but then you see Superman doing some stuff as well, and you're going, really? That's just, that doesn't seem like, that's a, that's a very nice thing to do. That doesn't seem very Superman-like, but that's the point. That's exactly the point of this story. It's an Elseworld story. You're not looking at the Superman that you know. You're looking at a version of a Superman that was really manipulated in this in this story and manipulated by Brainiac, unbeknownst to him. Now, when Brainiac got, gets involved in the story, and it doesn't happen early on. It's not like this is all Brainiac, right? Because Superman was still making some questionable decisions. He did some great things too, don't, don't get me wrong, but there were some some questionable decisions before he before Brainiac was ever even in the picture. So... You see how Brainiac manipulates him, and and in the back of your mind, if you're a fan of 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 any Superman stories and know who Brainiac is, you've got to kind of say to yourself, "It's Brainiac." You know that he's not just the, like this loyal soldier, right? Even in an Elseworlds story, at the end of the day, this is still Brainiac, right? So you got to keep an eye on him. And instead, Superman was greatly manipulated by Brainiac in this story. So that's one of the very interesting parts and what the culmination of this story actually ends up being in the end is is the is the final battle. Again, a lot of spoilers here. Not final battle but with with Brainiac in the end, but there are so many other battles in this movie that are really really good. Like you've got the the fight with uh, Superman and Batman, that that's a really really good one. Also, the the Superior Man, as they call him, which we know it's really bizarre, right? But Superior Man, which was created by Lex Luthor, that was a good one. I loved seeing the Green Lantern Corps be be brought to life in animation like that, almost like the like like a bomber squad type type get the the bomber jackets on, and and I just love that look of the Green Lantern Corps, which of course again was defeated. By Superman, but still at the same time, getting to see these things brought to life in animation was just really, really cool for me as somebody who just really enjoys Mark Miller's story. And what I really, what I really love is that you see, you know, what can be adversaries and what can be clashing ideals can sort of be put aside for the greater good when it's necessary, right? And and I think that that's something that's a really, really interesting or an undercurrent. In this particular movie, which I I thought was really really cool, and and again, you're you're talking about a group that knows exactly what they're doing in Warner Brothers, Home Entertainment, and DC Animation. They've had hit after hit after hit, and you get plenty of action in this movie, but it doesn't overload it. What you also get is again that morally gray area. But it seems like the true hero in this story, if you want to pick a couple, are women. You've got Wonder Woman, Diana, who basically 
you know, at first she's, you know, kind of there, there's a diplomatic relationship between Superman there in this movie, right? That was that was really, really intriguing. And then she sort of, you know, breaks ties with him at some point because she just she saw the gray area and she's like, I'm not OK with this. And if you're not going to change who you are, then I, I'm not going to necessarily I'm not going to put you down, but I'm not going to help you either sort of thing. You know, like I'm not going to watch you die, but I'm also not going to let you push your narrative sort of thing. And then the other hero in this, to me anyway, is Lois Lane. It's weird to see Lois and Lex together, first of all, but again, welcome to Elseworlds. But then you've got Lois Lane, who really is a hero in this story, and you see her kind of check Lex's morality as well with the whole superior man thing and what he did there and certain other things that he sort of did along the way and but but yet she still sort of stayed with him and you've got to wonder what you want to want to talk about an elseworlds of an elseworlds what would have happened if lois just left him right just completely leaves him and he's left to his own devices that might have made things even worse and who knows where the story would have gone if that were the case but we get to see certain things come to light here, you know, like Lex becoming president, we get to see that, and we get to see how that plays out differently in an S-Worlds type situation. Now, the ending, a little bit different, a little bit, I don't want to say blah, but uh, uneventful, I guess you could say, unless you consider the ending what happens in the final fight with Brainiac, and everything else is sort of an epilogue, right? Everything else is sort of an aftermath of that. If the ending of the movie to you is that is what happens in the aftermath of that fight is what happens directly after that fight with Brainiac, then okay. That's a good ending right there. And and I guess you can't just leave it like that, right? You've got to round it out in a different way. So if that's your ending, then okay, then then I'll accept that. It's it's it is a really good ending. But beyond that, it's like, okay, that's where we're gonna leave it. All right, I guess that's okay. It wasn't bad either. It's just it was just like a ho hum sort of situation compared to some of the others that have had a little bit more impact. And it's hard to it's hard to really compare the two. But I mean, if we're talking about performances, I thought Amy Acker was fantastic as Lois Lane. Vanessa Marshall knocked it out of the park as Wonder Woman as she always does. Jason Isaacs, I really enjoyed Jason Isaacs. As your Red Sun Superman. I thought that, I mean, he really brought it. He did a fantastic job. So, I mean, another just amazing casting job by the folks at DC and Warner Brothers for this one. And I will say this, though, as I kind of round things out here. Did I enjoy it as much as I enjoyed Batman Gotham by Gaslight, which was the other Elseworlds story that they did? I don't know that I did, but I, it was also a different experience for me, too, because I watched Gotham by Gaslight in D.C. and D.C. back in 2018, and and it was in a, a small theater with a bunch of other people, and, you know, it was a different experience. And for Superman Red Sun, I'm watching it, you know, here, here at home. So maybe that made me like Gotham by Gaslight a little more, but I, I tended to kind of gravitate towards that story a little more as well. Both very good stories. But I, I tended to like Gotham by Gaslight a little more. This one definitely, though, worth the watch if you want, if you really, especially if you're a fan of the original comic, the, the graphic novel anyway, you're going to enjoy this because you're going to see that brought to life. And maybe you, that's a book you haven't read 
in a while, but you're still familiar with. And it's a good way to refamiliarize yourself with that story. So Superman, Red Sun, go ahead and grab it. You will not be sorry that you did. It is available now on Blu-ray, 4K Ultra, and also on Digital HD. This week, the Down and Nerdy Podcast is brought to you by Keeps. And I know what you're thinking when you look in the mirror. You're like, this isn't good. I see the hair going backward a little bit. Male pattern baldness kind of hits by the time you're 35 for two out of three guys. But you don't have to go bald and you don't have to go broke either with Keeps because prevention is the key here. Really, and Keeps treatments really work. They're up to 90% effective at reducing and stopping further hair loss. So basically, the sooner you get on this, the more hair you'll actually be able to save on the top of your head. And if you don't believe me, go ahead and check out all the five-star reviews that they have, more so than any of their competitors. Nearly 100,000 men are trusting Keeps with their hair loss prevention medication right now and if you want to get your first month's treatment absolutely free go to keeps.com slash nerdy seriously the first month is actually going to be free for your treatment if you go to keeps.com slash nerdy bottom line here don't sulk don't wait you can help stop your hair loss right now and bring that hair back to where you want it to be with keeps that's gonna do it for my spoiler filled ish review of superman red sun up next how about another review i'm gonna talk about netflix's letter to the king up next i'm james witham and this is the down and nerdy podcast this is vanessa marshall voice of gamora on marvel's guardians of the galaxy and Hera on star wars rebels on disney xd and you're listening to the down and nerdy podcast Netflix is going to be taking you on another quest streaming right now, Letter to the King from Netflix. And I'm going to actually talk about just the first episode here. And the reason I'm going to do that is this thing just hit Netflix. I know you probably haven't been able to dive into it too, too much. I totally get that. So that is why I'm only going to be talking about the first episode here. And basically we have a story about a young man named Thierry, who's played by Amir Wilson. Now, Thierry is kind of like adopted by this really famous knight, Sir Thierry the Valiant. And he's sort of taken in and shown, and he's expected now, he, he's basically his son, so he's expected to follow in his adoptive father's footsteps and become a knight himself. Problem is, is Thierry doesn't exactly have those kind of skills at his disposal. So there's a little bit of a struggle there. And that's a big part of the first episode is, is Thierry going through these trials of knighthood and and how that sort of goes for him. And then you sort of meet some of the other kids that along the way that are a part of it. He does get befriended by one particular potential knight in this group. And you're basically setting up the fact that Thierry is the one that you want to root for so bad, but just might not have the skills to get things done. And you will absolutely 100% not like Sir Thierry the Valiant played by David Wenham. I'm sorry, you will not like this character at all. And I'm not saying it because he's he's a bad character. I'm just saying that that he's a real jerk. That's the best way that I could possibly put it. 
he is not the nicest dude in the world. And, and even Tyrion's mom sort of sort of pushes him and apologizes for how how Sir Tyrion treats him. The the one guy you're gonna like for sure, I think, is Boars, and that's who that's he's played by Johannes Hakur Johannesson. And let me tell you right now, he's the one that sort of helps Tyrion along the way, helps him learn the ways of the sword, help him helps him train him in the ways of knighthood. And you're thinking, you know, well, couldn't his father have done that, right? Apparently, he's busy off off doing knight stuff, so he really, really can't do that. And then what you have going on in the background while all this is going on is there's a war being waged, of course, because, you know, it's 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 medieval times sort of setting, and that's what, what happens back then. There's There's wars and epic battles and things like that. And there's a prince that has kind of gone off his rocker a little bit. And I'm talking about Prince Viridian, played by Jids Blum. And I'm sorry if I butchered that name. But And I, when I tell you that this prince has gone off his rocker, you know how you can get you know like kind of mad with power, right? So that's, that's exactly the kind of thing that's happening with this prince, mad with power. And I'm not going to spoil anything other than the fact that he's pretty darn ruthless. But there's something else about this prince that makes him even more dangerous. And that's what I'm going to tell you. So you, you figure, okay, somebody that dangerous needs to be stopped, right? Well, that's exactly how someone feels, and they're trying to send word to the king about exactly what this prince is doing. I mean, you, when you're thousands of miles away, it's hard to know what's going on in the battlefield if you're not there. And maybe the, maybe the king wouldn't approve. Maybe he would. We don't know because the king doesn't know what's going on. Hence the title of the show, Letter to the King. So there's a certain set of circumstances that come around this. And you might figure you know who gets the letter. I'm not going to spoil it for you or the circumstances that go into that. Again, because maybe you haven't had a chance to check this out. So that's basically the the gist of the story as I can give it to you. The best I can give it to you without really spoiling anything. I will say this, though. I, I was... I was interested in trying to get to know the characters early on, and I certainly felt bad for Tyrion when when his adopted father was just a jerk and, you know, kind of really pushed him and then tried to do something else that was very, very unchivalrous in my estimation. And you, you really felt bad for him. And then you see him sort of, at least I mean, he sticks with it, that's for sure. So he sticks with it. And then you see something happen in a, in a group setting that sort of sets things off on a different path, right? And that's kind of where that first episode ends. Now, here's the thing. You have to be taken in by these characters to really be interested in continuing. To me, the mark of a good show on, on something like Netflix or any streaming service where the episodes get released all at once, it's that countdown after that first episode to me you know when you get through an episode and you have that next episode starting in 15 seconds or whatever am i at all considering waiting to watch that next episode no matter what my circumstances are like if i really know i need to go to sleep but it's a really good show i'm gonna keep going anyway there's there's tried and true memes about that on the online all the time and on social media but is it a show where it's like man i could watch the rest of this tomorrow and then you forget about it for a few days 
to me, this show doesn't exactly break a ton of new ground. And one of the things this show is going to really suffer from is the fact that The Witcher was so successful on Netflix. Now, completely different story, very different tone. I understand that. And I know maybe it's not even fair for me to compare the two, but quite frankly, that's the thing you're still thinking about and talking about is The Witcher, right? Now, unlike The Witcher, which could be really complicated at times, it's pretty straightforward what's happening in A Letter to the King. It's it's pretty obvious is with, with what's happening in The Letter to the King. You're, there's no mis- real mystery there other than how they're going to go about this quest. But to me, this is like, okay, you're trying to be a mishmash of a few different similar stories, and I don't know if your character's are 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 big and vibrant enough to sustain me wanting to keep going unless you give me something really really solid to go on. Now now the prince is the prince is probably the best part of this show because the prince is so evil and so intriguing but you also have to say oh, okay well well who's the who's the adversary who are the heroes that're going to bring down the prince and i'm not saying i don't think that they can do it necessarily again when you're one episode in it's really kind of hard to make that estimation so i'm not going to go there but the problem is is that okay how interested am i in the quest that's going forward and in a show like this you have to be just as interested in the quest as you do the characters it's 50-50 here so I'm a little more interested in the quest than the characters, and I know that there's going to be more layers to the story, but I'm not rushing to get to the rest of this series, unfortunately. This is just one that it didn't intrigue me enough when I know that there are other options, and there's there's certainly plenty. I know that you know we're stuck inside now, and you're going to want to give things a try. Give this a try and see what you think of it. This, If, if you love shows like this, then you probably won't be disappointed if you're if you're okay with the similar themes because there are plenty of similar themes in this and and we are talking about a younger cast here too so uh, so again if you it, it, it might appeal to a younger audience a little bit more than it did to me so I I will say that it's not there's certainly some scary stuff about it it's not really too hardcore for for younger adults I probably wouldn't show this to to my five year old necessarily. But it wouldn't be terrible either. I mean, this is your best judgment as to, you know, watch the, watch the first episode. If you think it's okay for your kids, then then you can base it on that. And, of course, base it on the rating that it's given. But to me, it just didn't grab me enough to make me want to keep that, you know, keep that countdown going and say, yeah, I've got to see this next, next episode now because I have to see where this goes. Maybe that hook comes later on. We'll wait and see. I will still get to the rest of this and maybe update my review at downinnerdypodcast.com. I'll just have to wait and see. But right now, not exactly hooked on the letter to the king. I'd actually be curious to see what you think. That's going to do it for my kind of maybe one or two spoilers of the letter to the king from Netflix. Up next, yeah, there's still a few a few nerd news items to talk about. And we'll do it non-coronavirus related. I promise. It's next on the Down and Nerdy Podcast. This is Elin Powell from Siren on Freeform, and you're listening to the Down and Nerdy Podcast. Time to get next-gen gamers. It's time for nerd news. And yes, one of the moments you've been waiting for anyway has finally arrived. The technical specs were released for the PS5 
console by Sony in their presentation. I will get to the actual presentation part here in a second, but I'm not going to go ahead and like try and give you some sort of a science lesson or try and talk to you about teraflops and things like that. If you're really into that, you've already looked at the technical specs anyway. Let me just put it this way. The graphics processing unit, going to be really fast, going to be really powerful. Also going to have really, really good memory bandwidth, about almost 500 gigs per second of that. The internal storage maybe could have been a little bit better. I mean, it's 825 gigs. It's still pretty good. You've also got expandable storage from the NVMe SSD slot. And you've also got also US, USB HDD support. And you've got the 4K drive, the optical drive in there as well. So, I mean, you've got you've got plenty of other options as far as expandable memory is concerned. It's going to be fast. It's going to be powerful. But if you're looking at it, it's really not comp- it's not really that different from the Xbox One X in a lot of different areas. I think it was IGN that posted the side-by-side comparison. Now, if I'm remembering that comparison correctly, the memory bandwidth was was bigger on the PS5. So if that's something that's important to you, then yeah, that's something that is going to be a big deal. But here here's the thing that that got fans upset. And I and I'm gonna say that I don't really blame them because as the average gamer, right, the average gaming fan isn't necessarily interested in the numbers here, right? Other than how many games can I fit on there and what's the lag gonna be like? Those are the two things and load times too. Those are the three things that gamers care about. You throw a number at them. And you could go, oh, you know, for, for the average gamer, right? Now, if you're a hardcore, you're into all the technical specs. But you just want to know how many freaking games can you load on there? How how long is it going to take to load them on there? And am I going to get lag when I'm playing? Those are, the, those are the kinds of things that you want to know about. And beyond that, fans wanted to see the console. You didn't show it. All right. I mean, did did they have to? Was that a deal breaker? I don't know. Maybe it kind of was. Do you do this until you're done with that? I don't know. And the one thing that I got to say, and I got to I got to get on fans for this a little bit. You're if you were expecting trailers, nah, nah. I I mean, you can't. I I think that 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 was a little bit of a too, too much of, of an ask, especially for right now. You can't really get developers involved in anything right now you just this was their way of trying to say okay well here's what the specs of the game of the of the console are going to look like and give you something to compare against the xbox one x now if you're a microsoft fan if you're an xbox fan you're going to point to certain things and say well that's the same and actually we've got a little bit more on this okay fine but it's a matter, It's it, we really are at the point where it's a matter of taste, isn't it? And, and it's a matter of what is the most important thing to you. And if the memory bandwidth thing is the most important thing to you, then it looks like PS5 has a little bit of an advantage there over the Xbox One X. But again, until you're physically seeing it, right? Until you're seeing it in action, you want to see the controller, because controller is a big deal, right? And I think we might have gotten a little bit of a reveal, of the controller, and I don't really think it would be that different anyway from what they've already had. But you wanted to see it 
right? You want something tangible, not just a bunch of numbers thrown at you. And I understand that. So the bottom line is they're going to be powerful. You know, they're just going to be. And, and I'm not sure that this moves the needle much one way or the other. Now, when you actually see something rendered and how it plays, that might. But until then, I don't know that we're talking about, you know, reinventing the wheel here as far as, yeah, it's going to be more powerful. But seeing is believing, quite frankly, and we're not going to get to do that yet. Speaking of seeing is believing, we did get to see the season two trailer for DC Universe's Harley Quinn, which is going to be returning on April the 3rd. And the thing, one of the things that struck me about the trailer was, is it promised to be raunchier. How is that possible? I mean, Patrick Schumacher and Justin Halpern, you might be listening. How is that possible? Because it was pretty raunchy in season one and pretty hilarious. And this trailer was really funny too. When Bane talks about being in the folding chair, I lost it. I, maybe I shouldn't have, maybe it was stupid, but I love Bane. I love Bane in this series and Harley's still on her quest to be the most feared super villain. And she's got her team with her and her entrance to her new lair. Very, to it. Very interesting. Very, very interesting. I will say that there's just, again, everybody that you love is going to be back for this, but then you're adding in Catwoman, who we only get to see briefly, but the, I loved the look. I'm just going to throw that out there right now. Loved the look. And you got Mr. Freeze joining the mix as well. I'm really, really excited for Alfred Molina as Mr. Freeze because he not only is he just, he's just a good actor, he can deliver, but he's also he's got more comedic timing than I think he's given credit for in other roles that he's had. He he tends to be looked at as, some, as someone you know more more of a serious dramatic actor. But re- remember, well, of course he was he was Doc Ock. Right. So there, he's no stranger to the superhero genre, but just, just something that just feels like a perfect marriage to me. And I think that that's really, really going to come over well. Plus, it seems like everybody that gets involved with this Harley Quinn animated series on DC Universe, it's kind of like everybody goes back and goes, ah, finally, yeah, I can just I can just cut loose on this and have fun. That just seems like the vibe that's been created and it comes across not just when you watch when you watch a trailer. Never mind the episodes. The episodes it really comes across because you get to see the whole thing. In this short trailer, I hear you can hear it in the voices of these actors. They're where they're going. Ah, oh, finally, like oh, we can finally just cut loose and do something different. And that's what you're getting to do with this no holds barred adaptation of Harley Quinn. Yeah, April third, DC Universe. I'm there. Sign me up. I'm ready. I was ready before the trailer, to be honest. I'm really ready now. Going to go back to gaming here for a second because Valiant dropped some news that I didn't really expect and some video game news at that. How about the fact that the Shadow Man game, where, where what was that? It was for, for Nintendo 64 originally, wasn't it? And there was a PC version as well, I believe. It's going to be remastered and put back out in... Th- that is not again not something I expected at all. I mean, it was kind of a cult classic game when it was out, right? And I think it was re-released again in what 2014, something like that. It was also on PlayStation. Acclaim Studios did it. Well, now it's going to be brought back by Valiant Entertainment and Night Dive 
Studios. And, and, and again, it's basically going to be just a remaster of the original game, right? It's, yeah, you're going to be able to protect humanity from the demons of the dead side and, you know, the ones that come into our world. That's what the Shadow Man does. You know that already, right? So it's going to be 4K widescreen display. There's going to be dynamic shadow mapping, pretty appropriate because you're talking about Shadow Man here. Of course, you know, they're going to refine the art and the audio and stuff like that. They're going to refine the gameplay experience a little bit. So we're going to get Xbox and PS4 controller support, by the way, too. So that's really, really important aspect of this. And it's going to be available on Steam, too, by the way. So that's a really, really important thing. It's also going to be coming to Windows PC on GOG platforms. And you're going to get it on PlayStation, Xbox, and Switch. So if you're on Switch, yes, you will be able to play the remastered Shadow Man game. I remember that Valiant had promised to start making more games not too long ago, right? So this is at least a good step in that direction of remastering this Shadow Man game. I don't ever recall playing this, to be honest. So this will be a good chance for me because I love the character and I can't wait for Cullen Bunn's Shadow Man story that's going to be coming up. And I was, I'm was, i really, really looking forward to actually getting a chance to play this this time, I mean, I've got my I've got my Windows PC right here fired up and ready to go. I'm thinking that, you know, you get on Steam and you can go ahead and play this thing. And as I'm kind of searching through the press release, I don't see a release date specifically for the... Oh, it, well, you know the Shadow Man comic is going to be coming on May the 20th. So that, that much you know, but we don't know exactly when the game is going to be out. And again, right now... You know, things were a little bit difficult. So this is just something I'm really looking forward to. I think Valiant not only has a lot of viability for movies and and TV shows, why aren't they doing video games? These, These are really good characters that if you don't know enough about them, shame on you because they are pretty great characters. I mean, Exo Man of War, I think, could have a great video game. Ninjak could have a great video game as well. The list goes on and on and on, really. So, yeah. Shadow Man being remastered, I'm all for that. Bring it on, because I finally want to be able to play this game, because I don't think I ever did on Nintendo 64. Well, Disney might be delaying some movies, but they are not delaying their comics at Dark Horse. As a matter of fact, remember Disney Villains? That was a series that's supposed to be coming to Disney+, Plus, right? I don't know if it still is or isn't. Everything seems kind of up in the air at this point, but Disney Villains is coming to Dark Horse Comics, and this was the press release that was released by Dark Horse recently. The first story is actually going to be Disney villains Ursula and the Seven Seas, of course, based on Ursula from The Little Mermaid. And the cover, that if you haven't seen the cover yet, go to downandnerdypodcast.com. You're going to want to check out this color, I mean cover, because it is, I mean, it's a great depiction of Ursula. It's actually going to be written by Sherry L. Smith and art by Gabrielle Bagnoli and the synopsis for this basically, and I'll read this word for word for you. Long before the events of Disney's The Little Mermaid and Ariel's quest to be a part of the human world, Ursula was one of the seven seas, the seven sea witches who each ruled one of the seven seas with impunity. But when one of Ursula's sea sisters is found stripped of all her powers, Ursula must find the culprit. And among the merfolk, there is one who dares defy the rain of the sea witches. So, I mean, that seems like a pretty intriguing premise to me right there. And you can get your hands on this on June the 24th 
of this year. But again, there is any number of Disney villains that you can take on with this. And this is just the first of what I hope are many of these. And maybe, you know, and this could, there could be a gray area here too, because you've got certain villains in, in Disney where like, are they a villain or are they not a villain? Maybe we'll toe that line a little bit. Maybe Dark Horse will help us answer that question. I think Ursula, a good call to start with. You could have, you certainly could have started with Maleficent if you wanted to, being that that character is very fresh in everyone's mind. You could have started with Jafar, Mufasa, something like that. Again, that fresh in people's minds. Ursula, I think a good call. We know the live-action Little Mermaid movie is going to be coming eventually. Not anytime soon, but eventually, right? And, and you know, The Seven Seas, not a bad setting art-wise either to really make things pop in your first miniseries. So I think that this is a good call by Dark Horse, just one of many Dark Horse books that I can't wait for. So, yeah, keep an eye on the, on the show for future interviews and reviews of Dark Horse books because there's a lot of great stuff coming from Dark Horse. That's going to do it for Nerd News. Up next, let's talk about Motherland, Fort Salem from Freeform. Jessica Sutton joins me to talk about that next on the Down and Nerdy Podcast. This is Taylor Hickson from Deadly Class, and you're listening to the Down and Nerdy Podcast. This is one show that we've been looking forward to and has been on our radar for a while. Motherland, Fort Salem from Freeform, which you can now watch every Wednesday night at 9 p.m. Eastern Time. So happy to have Tally Craven herself with me this week. Jessica Sutton. Jessica, how you doing? Uh, I'm so happy to be here. Well, yeah, metaphorically speaking. <laughs> well, of course, yeah, metaphorically speaking. Calling in from South Africa. Yeah, they understand what you're saying. They get it, they get in it. In person, as it Now, I actually think it's very easy, Jessica, to get hooked on the premise of this show alone. So what was your first impression when you first started reading those scripts? I've never read anything like it before. I think the element of surprise is deep within the show. And then just going from script to script, how much the character of Sally alone changed just uh, was a gift. You know, how, how many things in life surprise you? Um, and, and this show was one of it. So, you know, just off the bat, I loved the world that Elliot had created and, and, and specifically uh, kind of just this reimagined symbol of the witch to... You know, kind of steering away from that typical Halloween tackling crone, mm-hmm. you know, te- or temptress fornicating with the devil, and and kind of towards something far more empowering and positive and unifying. It was it, it's exciting. The whole thing's exciting. I have to say, when I first when I saw the first episode, I got to see it a little bit early. Uh, Tally's personality really stood out to me. So, how would you describe her? <laughs> well, on the page. The first thing I remember reading about her was that, and this is this is word for word, that she's a living exclamation mark. <laughs> and I thought, how cool to describe somebody like that. And I remember thinking that, I mean, outside of that, I think she just personify compassion and curiosity and innocence. And then I think throughout the show, you just see that innocence growing up and becoming wisdom with all the discernment and assertion. You know, all the good stuff that pain teaches you. Yeah, and her just kind of waking into the woman that she's going to be and waking into the witch. But, I, yeah, I think her boundless enthusiasm for life is something that I can really relate to. Speaking of waking into the witch, obviously being a witch, we know that Tally's going to have certain abilities, abilities and magic that she's capable of. How cool was it to bring out that skill set for the first time? And tell fans, where, where do you think she's at in terms of her skill level early on? Well, at the beginning, I mean, because she's been raised. So her mother 
uh, kind of blowback story. May Craven kind of lost her sisters in in battle, and so the Craven line has been almost diminished, and they were given a compensation, a dispensation, not fight. And so May Craven decided to raise Tally Craven away from the world and kind of in this bubble of uh, uh, matrifocal compound, this community that's purely run by women and a void of men. And um, that really, I think, influences Patty's naivete of what she thinks the world is like. But I think that as the curious person that she is, um, she can't help but wonder, you know, into kind of what waits, awaits outside of that bubble. And um, I think she just ultimately knows that goodness is in her and the world needs more goodness. And it's simple for Tally like that. She just, she's just, she's a good heart, you know. Um, so her mother kind of really just pushes her own fear and, you know, prejudice towards the system in hopes of swaying Tally um, into never joining. And of course, Tally chooses to volunteer <laughs> despite despite her mother's wishes, um, which I think is a no, no, it's definitely not an easy act for her. She loves her mother, but I think her love for the world is greater. And I think she just inherently knows that in some way she's kind of denying her full potential by staying with her mother and living in fear. And in, in, in this just, there is so much um, good to come out of stepping into one's full power and serving something greater than yourself. Definitely. Now, the dynamic between Tally, Rael, and Abigail is a very, very interesting one. So talk about the group a little bit, and what would you actually say her place in the group is? Well, I, I find, yeah, we, so Kass and I, we just, we like to talk about these characters as character types, just so we don't give anything away. But I like to think of Rael, Abigail, and Tally like a triangle. And Rael, as the rebel, I would say, represents like questioning mind. Abigail is this also leader, born soldier, represents the body, and Tally is this like the truest believer, the doer of good deeds, and the shiny dude, like between these two alphas, uh, represents the heart. So, you know, and I just feel like all three experiences as opposed to the show, you know, the rebel learning to open herself up to love again, um, also leader learning, you know, step into her courage and take action and become her own person. And we see the innocence, learn discernment, and um, grow into wisdom. So, oh, that explains it <laughs> in, in a surface way. But yeah, I mean, the dynamic in particular for Kali is like ultimately gets the unit unity that you know the unit lives and dies together, and um, she serves as a peacemaker between the two alphas or. I like to think of them as kind of like the immovable objects and the unstoppable force. And her place is, is in the middle, kind of, you know, keeping units whole. Definitely. We're talking to Jessica Sutton of Motherland Fort Salem, which you can see now every Wednesday night at 9 p.m. Eastern Time on Freeform. Now, Jessica, most shows have a big bad. We know that. and But we all seem to have... We, you all seem to face something much bigger, more like an enemy than a big bad. So what can you tell us about them? Okay, well, I think that in the show, fear is just personified in the spree, which is the kind of the supernatural terrorist group. And all I will say, without giving too much away, is it's, nothing is as it seems. 
<laughs> yeah, that's that's definitely the truth. That much I can say for sure. Yeah. Now, since now, this is not a spoiler because it's actually in the description of the first episode, and we certainly don't want to spoil anything. You all are going to be going through basic training on the show. So talk about what shooting those early scenes were actually like. Well, it was huge for the Mon, um, being that we are a military show. Um, and I would not describe myself as an athletic person. And I think I can speak for the three of us in saying that we're not the most gifted hand-eye coordinated people in the world. <laughs> <laughs> so we just went in and we just went in embracing the whole challenge of it all. And I, I, I personally came out feeling like I'm a lot stronger than I give myself credit for. And it's always great to just be in an uncomfortable, challenging situation. And um, when you walk out feeling, you know, more empowered than you left, we just had so much fun. We... In the in this alternative world, there's no guns, so our weapon of choice is rope dart, which is an ancient ancient Chinese martial art. So you can imagine they came whole education around how to move and work with this tool. We had such incredible trainers, guns, so we kind of we 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 owe um, we owe them how good we look in the show. <laughs> <laughs> I can only imagine. Now, there's actually a video that you guys posted on social media of you guys all taking the oath, which is a very powerful moment in the show. You can see how the three of you react differently to taking that oath. So how much can you tell us about Tally's feelings in that moment? Well, I would say for Tally, I mean, you know, so, I mean, it's very weighted for her and that she's volunteered by her mother's wishes. Um, but she really is filled with so much joy and pride. She sees this as her truest calling and her greatest privilege um, and her really kind of stepped into her dream as it was. And as an actor, I would say just playing that moment was surreal that it was also like a dream come true for me. <laughs> just, you know, uh, being, being from Cape Town, South Africa, you know, and, and having that active journey of just trying to get an international manager and just trying to get self-tapes and now, you know, landing a lead on a TV series it, it just felt all kind of very emotional for that moment. Tally and Jess, <laughs> just kind of feeling all the privilege um, and that moment was great. Definitely. Now, Motherland Fort Salem not only shows women in more dominant roles, like you were saying, the cast is also nearly all women and probably gives women more screen time than any other scripted TV series, at least that I can think of anyway. How empowering do you feel like this series is just as a whole? I mean, I think that's the main, one of the main themes, just self-empowerment. I think the strength of the show is the diversity of the cast. And, you know, as a woman in this industry, I've definitely experienced so much woman-on-woman put down. Um, and to, you know, to be in a cast of such diverse women, you know, to see a past age, past gender, past culture, sexual orientation, you know, it's kind of just speaking for, for just the inclusivity of it all, but also... Yeah, just as as the sisterhood was on screen, it was also off. And I think off screen, I mean, these women have become my mentors, my my greatest friends. It's been the truest gift in my life, personally and professionally. Amazing. Now, Jessica, before I let you go, I know that fans are going to love the first episode, but I want you to tease ahead just a little bit without spoiling anything. Is there a specific episode coming up of the series that you really can't wait for everyone to see? one moment <laughs> you're killing me here <laughs> um i would say in the whole show i haven't seen i haven't seen much of it so 
I know that I'm I'm really anticipating episode ten. Just I remember reading it and uh, just being, you know, jaw jaw dropped. Just I did not see it coming. And it was just bring a really emotional ending for for the show for the season and yeah, personally for us, having gone through five months of shooting, it just felt like we you know we were a family and I think always the last episode is the most emotionally weighted when you're not just, you're realizing that, you know, you're, you're coming to the end of that chapter together as a unit on and off screen. <laughs> so I'm most excited for episode 10, which is probably a terrible tease because that's just, you have to make it through the whole season to, to really see what I'm talking about. But yeah. That's okay. We've got a long way to go and we can't wait to, for the ride because, hey, if you're looking for something new to watch, guess what? Motherland Fort Salem premieres on Freeform Wednesday, March the 18th at 9 p.m. and every Wednesday night after that. Yeah, you've got new episodes, so watch it. It's Jessica Sutton who plays Tally Craven on the show. Thank you so much for joining me this week. Thank you so much for having me. It was a blast. You can just hear the charm of Tally in Jessica Sutton's voice, can't you? And her excitement just really mirrors Tally's excitement in that first episode of Motherland Fort Salem. And I've watched a little bit ahead, too. I mean, you're going to see plenty of happy Tally, but there's a lot more depth coming to that character as well. You're going to want to watch every Wednesday night at 9 o'clock Eastern Time, Motherland Fort Salem, going to be a big hit on Freeform, and I just cannot wait for more. That's going to do it for this week's edition of the Down and Nerdy Podcast. Again, thanks to the folks at Freeform for letting me chat with Jessica Sutton this week. If you want more of Motherland Fort Salem and see my review of the first episode, go to Down and Nerdy Podcast. We also want to make sure you're supporting this week's sponsor, Keeps. That's right. You want to keep your hair? Go to keeps.com slash nerdy and get your first month of treatment absolutely free. Make sure you're following us along on social media as well, at downandnerdy757 on Twitter and on Instagram and at downandnerdy on Facebook. Remember, you never have to apologize for being a nerd, so let your fan flag fly and be good to your fellow nerds.